Hello, my comfy, cozy, witchy friends, and welcome to episode number 26 of the Comfy Cozy Witch Podcast with me, Jenny Blonde, the Comfy Cozy Witch, and I thank you for joining me today. Before I get started on this episode, and this episode is going to be all about animals, animals in witchcraft, animals in magic, Um, but before I get into that, and before I get into what is currently making me feel... (laughs) Uh, comfy, cozy, and witchy. I almost said feel funky, <laughs> but comfy, cozy, and witchy. I just want to thank you all for listening. It has been such a warm welcome coming back after my summer hiatus, and I've been receiving so many kind messages and emails and just comments on the podcast. So I appreciate it so much. And someone messaged me last week to let me know that the Comfy Cozy Witch podcast was ranked 12th overall in all spirituality podcasts in the United States. It was number 12. And I was completely blown away because I started this podcast about a year ago now, not quite a year ago. And I never imagined that it would be ranked so high or that so many of you would be listening and tuning in. I, you know, I said many times before I started it kind of as a way for me to keep almost my own digital (laughs) grimoire, um, or I guess, podcast grimoire and a way for me to just reach a couple of people and talk to them about my experience with my practice and how I practice. And I never imagined that it would have turned into what it has turned into. So I just want to thank all of you who are listening in the United States, abroad, everywhere else. In the UK, I was ranked number five in spirituality. So thank you to my listeners over in the UK, my listeners everywhere. So again, thank you so much. And now I want to tell you what is currently making me feel comfy, cozy, and witchy. So last week, I know I talked all about fall and just fall in general and the autumn season with Mabin, you know, making me feel comfy, cozy, and witchy. And this kind of goes along with that, but it's something that I have been doing every morning for an entire week now that just sets my tone for the day, sets the tone for the day, and it's just super relaxing for me. So I have been waking up around, well, I always wake up early, 5, 5.30, but I've been making sure that I'm out of bed by 6 o'clock and I get changed, and I've been going outside and taking walks. Something that I have really been thinking about lately, especially over the last year and a half as we've dealt with, of course, COVID and this coronavirus, um, I have become a little bit inactive. I wasn't eating as healthy and I have been <laughs> lazier than usual, which you know what? Hello, we're in a pandemic and I have anxiety and that's just what happens. But, you know, as the days were getting cooler and the mornings were nice and cool, I thought I need to be active first thing in the morning to set a really nice base for myself every morning. So I've been getting up and I've been going out before the sun has come up. And I've been going for about half hour walks. Of course, I take Reese on the walks with me. Okay, Reese is laying underneath. I can see her reflection. You hear her shaking. (laughs) I see her reflection 
in the window in the door. And as soon as she heard the W word walk, her head like popped up. Here she comes. She's coming over right now. We're not going for a walk right now, honey. <laughs> she's so excited. But anyway, so I've been taking Reese. We've been going for our walks. I feel like I have to whisper it, even though she hears everything in the morning. And it has just been so nice getting out in nature, connecting with the elements. It's my favorite season here in Pennsylvania. It's been between 45 and 55 degrees in the morning, which is the perfect temperature for me. So I've been bundling up a little bit and putting on my sneakers and going for nice long W words. Here she is. If you could see, if this were, if I were like doing this on video, you would see Riesling pawing on my arm right now. She's pawing on my arm. Her little tail is wagging because she thinks that we're going to go for another W-A-L-K. She even knows the spelling because she just turned her head as soon as I said that. So I've been getting up early and doing that. And then I've been coming back. And typically at this point, uh, my son is eh, waking up, getting out of bed. And when I get back, that's when my husband is then going off to work. But I come back, I make myself coffee, I sit on the back porch for a little bit. Yesterday, I ended up going out into my garden. I just really, I was feeling off yesterday morning. So after the walk, we, I went out to the garden with my coffee and I took my book of shadows and I took a deck of cards and I did my entire morning ritual outside. So, you know, just being outside, feeling the crisp autumn air, listening to the birds. And, you know, of course, it, it's been, the grass has been a little bit wet, dewy in the mornings. And so have my chairs. So I have to like wipe them off every morning, which is not, not a big deal when I get to spend that time outside. But it has been peaceful, mindful time to myself. And again, I start, we go for this walk early, 6.15, 6.30, I typically leave and I'm back by seven o'clock. And it has just been so nice to embrace the cool, embrace the quiet. People are, you know, they're not out and about. And when I'm coming down the hill in our neighborhood, so it's a big loop. And when I get to the top where there's a cul-de-sac and I make that turn at the cul-de-sac, I, I'm watching the sun come up at that point. So I turn and when I make that turn, the sun is coming up every morning greeting me and it just makes it feel so lovely and it's so comfy and so cozy. And then it it makes me want to get home and connect to my practice even more. So it makes it witchy as well. And that's how I've been starting my days. And I I've said before during the summer months and spring after the winter, the really cold mornings, I like to get outside in the morning as much as I can and take my coffee out there, take my morning ritual. But that's typically all I would do. I would just sit, you know, sometimes with my cards and my book of shadows or a journal and my coffee and I would just sit out there and enjoy the sights and sounds, which is wonderful and I love doing that. But I've just been adding that extra element of walking and doing some mindful walking. And it really has just been awakening me in the morning and getting me ready for the day and setting that tone. And I will tell you, the last five days or so, the first two days it was rough, not going to lie. The first two days getting up early, getting changed to go for a walk. And when I say walk, 
most of the walk is a fast paced walk. It's, it's exercise. Um, but it, it took some time to get used to the first two mornings. It was exhausting. But once I got over that hump, these last four or five mornings have been amazing. And again, just setting that tone. If you hear Reese in the background, she, I got her this little, I got her this little donut. Uh, where did I find that? TJ Maxx, I'm sure. Yeah, it was TJ Maxx. I got her this little donut and she loves chewing on it. And then I was on the phone with my aunt and she was chewing on this squeaky donut. And my aunt said, oh, is it the one from Dunkin' Donuts? And I'm like, what? There are dog toys at Dunkin' Donuts? And she said, oh, yeah, they have dog toys. They have a, a Dunkin' Donuts bag with like that crinkly stuff inside of it. And then they have a Dunkin' Donuts mug dog toy that has a little pocket that you can hide treats in. And so I, of course, that day I went to my local Dunkin' Donuts and they were out of them. They said that they were discontinuing the dog toys. I guess they weren't popular around here. So my aunt went to her Dunkin' Donuts, bought them and shipped them to me. And now both of my dogs are obsessed with these toys. My little Yorkie, my old little dog, she loves the crinkly ones. And then Reese likes the one with the treat, treat hidden inside. And it takes her, it takes her like five, 10 minutes to get to that treat. It takes some work on her part. But anyway, that's, that's beside the point. I just say that because she's in here with me that she always is. But I just wanted to tell you that getting out there in the morning, taking a nice walk, coming back, sitting outside, enjoying the fresh air. That is what currently is making me feel comfy, cozy, and witchy. All right. So before I get into this, I have to admit this is the second time I'm recording this main segment because I accidentally deleted it the first time. But that's what happens when you join me sometimes on my podcast. You know by now Technology is not my forte, or fort as it is actually pronounced, I learned a couple years ago. It is not my thing, and I have no idea what I was doing. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking completely, but I had a 20-minute segment, and I completely deleted it. So guess what? I'm going to start it all over again, but that's fine. It's like I had a little rehearsal for you. So today, I'm going to be talking to you about animals in magic, in animals, in our practice. And talking a little bit about the difference between our animal friends, our pets, versus familiars, versus your, an animal guide, an animal guide or two or however many. And I do want to preface this by saying, this is, these are all my opinions. This is my experience. What I'm saying is not written in stone. I get this information from what I have read over the years and what I have experienced personally. But if you do want any further reading at the end of this segment, I will tell you about a couple of books that you can look into that are specific to the witches familiar and, and familiars in general. So I also want to touch a little bit about on the folklore and history of familiar and where we saw it in witchcraft, uh, particularly in the witch trials in England in the 16th and 17th centuries. So 
I'm going to start though. I'm not going to start there. The first time I recorded this, I started there, but I, I think this time I'm going to start with just our animal friends and our pets. And then I'm going to get into familiars and the lore behind familiars. So pets, and I love this, and Deborah Blake says this, and you know, Deborah Blake is one of my favorite witches. I, I really connect with her. I feel that she is a, a grounded house and hearth witch, and I really appreciate that about her. And she's a fellow author. <laughs> um, but she says, you know, pets are a great conduit into the natural world. Whether you prefer the traditional witch's black cat or a wriggly puppy, or something more exotic like a snake, or something less exotic like a hamster. Pets give us a way to make a connection to something more basic and honest than the lives that humans lead. And I really love this because I think that it is so true. There is something so innately grounding and comforting when being in the presence of our pets, being in the presence of our animals. And it does, it reminds us of something more basic and whole and honest than every all the daily goings on of our lives. You know, we get so caught up in work and kids and and running errands and all these responsibilities that we have to get done that if we stop for a moment, take a few moments to pause and pet our animals, we are kind of brought back to the fact that, oh, here we are just beings on this earth, you know, just like these animals. I mean, for example, Reese right now, here I am doing this, I'm recording this episode in between writing a chapter for one of my books, right before I'm about to get my son ready to hop on his virtual school here in about a half an hour. And I have all these things going on, but I'm looking down right now at Reese and she is just now laying underneath my desk. The sun is coming in the window right in front of me and it's hitting right my feet, right at my feet. So she's laying in the sun, just basking in the sun, soaking it all up, um, just being just so chill and precious and again, basic and honest while I'm thinking, I'm I'm doing this podcast thinking about all the stuff I have to get done today. If I could just channel some of her energy, like how awesome, how awesome would that be? But again, that's what our pets do for us. That's what our animal friends do for us. They calm us. They're there for us when we've had a rough day and we just want to plop ourselves down on the couch and cuddle up next to them and they keep us warm. That's That's why they're here with us. And you know I have my two. I have my my little girl, my little Yorkie, my old my old girl, I call her. She's about 12 and she is deaf and going blind and she is the most precious little thing. And then I have my Reese here under my feet as well. She's about 7 years old and and is just awesome and we are very much connected, although I don't consider her a familiar, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But these animals you know, in our pets, it's been proven through studies that the mere petting, you know, just touching our animals lowers blood pressure and lowers heart rate and, and settles your breathing a little bit. And so there is so much benefit to having these, these animals. And then 
when we think of our magic and our practice and using and having animals that assist us with the practice, that's when we start um, moving into familiar territory. So um, let me, I want to think if there's anything else I want to say about our, our little animal friends. So having a pet, obviously, I mean, it is, it's a commitment and not something to be taken lightly. And a lot of people, you know, I see it just breaks my heart. They get an animal just to realize they can't handle it and then, and then send it back. Um, but unlike some other religions that see the natural world and, and therefore all animals as things that belong to humankind, pagans, I think, take a different view of that. And we see the natural world as a gift we're allowed to enjoy but not something that necessarily belongs to us. So Reese, you know, my my girls are a gift that nature has given me to enjoy, not just a possession, not just a belonging that's acquired and then you just toss away, you know, which is believed that animals are children of the god and the goddess and and we're fortunate enough that we can share our homes with them. If we're fortunate enough, you know, we owe them the best care possible and to treat them with kindness and respect, just like we would anything else, anybody else in our house. Because they're our little furry friends and brothers and sisters. And I think that, that that's how we need to treat them. We need to treat them as such with that respect. And I see <laughs> Reese below me just living, living the dream. She gets her food. She gets her water. She's spoiled. Anytime I, I go outside, she gets her walk. I still feel like I have to whisper that word because now she's sleeping under me. And if she hears it, she's going to wake right up. Um, but they are, you know, there are companions. Now, moving on to familiars. Before I get into talking about a familiar versus just our pet animals, I want to give a little bit of folklore behind familiars because traditionally familiars, well, first off, familiars were always known to work with witches. And that's one difference between, you know, pets and guides, animal guides and familiars. Um, Familiars are associated with witches, whereas obviously your pets and your guides, any anybody can have those. But a familiar is just, it's confined to a witch. And that's what I see. That's what I believe. That's what I've seen in, in my readings. And that's just how I identify that. And of course, maybe not everybody thinks that way, but that's the way I think it's witches, familiars. And that was shown throughout history, especially during the witch trials, when women and men were being accused of performing witchcraft and doing horrible things to others through the vessels of their familiars. And so years ago, hundreds of years ago, you know, the the witch's familiar was viewed as something negative because of these these connotations and these um, witchcraft these witches who were accused of witchcraft that really they didn't have familiars to do these horrible things to people. They had animals and somebody held a grudge against them and claimed that their, that their animals or, or familiars, they could have been familiars, were doing these horrible things. So I want to talk about just a little bit of some of the, the folklore and the stories around this. So, and I'm, this is talking from the trials 
in England in the 16th century, 16th and 17th centuries. So Agnes Waterhouse, she was the first woman to be executed in England for witchcraft in 1566. And she actually confessed to owning a cat named Satan uh, that she had been given by her sister. And it was thought that this feline was used to kill and injure several people, along with bringing misfortune to those who incurred Agnes's displeasure. Um, so already we have that negative connotation when it comes to a familiar. And that was in the form of a cat. And of course, you know, we all have heard the stories associated with the shape-shifting and black cats being witches in disguise and witches using their black cats to, to get what they want in nefarious ways. But really, when we further research, black cats are good, kind familiars and actually not the bad luck that once the people once thought. So when I was looking up some of the folklore around familiars, this animal kind of made me chuckle because I never considered it a witch's familiar. Because when I think of witch's familiars, I think of cats and toads and ravens and even dogs. But Another popular choice was the ferret of all animals. So in the St. Osith trials in Essex, and this is in 1582, Ursula Kemp had accused Elizabeth Bennet of keeping a ferret-shaped spirit in a pot. So it was this little ferret-shaped spirit. And it was said that this spirit had been used to bewitch people and cattle, causing death <laughs> to several people. And then in the same town in St. Osseth, another woman named Alice Hunt also kept a ferret in a pot. And this creature supposedly had killed six animals belonging to a man named Hayward, which when we look at the history, this Hayward fellow probably had a grudge against Alice for who knows why, maybe because she was a woman, <laughs> and decided to claim that she was a witch and get her put on trial and that, that these ferrets were the reason his animals were killed. And the Edmonton witch, Elizabeth Sawyer, was also accused of having white ferrets in her house. And this woman was years later, in 1621. But she denied that they had anything to do with witchcraft and that she had anything to do with witchcraft. So I just thought that was really funny, the ferrets. It kind of made me chuckle. <laughs> and then mice and rats also appeared in the confessions of accused witches as they related you know, to crimes to their questioners. In 1645, Elizabeth Harris of Faversham, Kent, she confessed that the devil had visited her years ago in the form of a mouse, and he had promised to help her carry out revenge upon her enemies. Um, and then Anne Cade, another woman from Great Holland, confessed to having mice familiars her mother had given her that she used to harm her enemies as well. And then I'll just give like one or two more. Um, one of the infamous Pendle witches, and if you haven't researched the Pendle trials, the Pendle witch trials, it's something to definitely look into. But James Device was his name. He confessed to having been visited by a familiar who was named Dandy, and Dandy came in the form of a dog. And Dandy asked for his soul in exchange for having revenge on anyone he choose, chose. Um, so that was, you know, another familiar. And then one of of the strangest familiars came from Wales. Uh, 
when, and this was in 1591, the local bailiff got more than he bargained for when he decided to put Gwen's powers to the test. Um, For when he arrived at her home demanding refreshments of all things, um, things took a turn when Gwen was manhandled by one of his party. And when the drink was produced, Gwen had the last laugh because there was a large fly floating in the jug and the men could not remove this fly. And it was so large and behaved in such an odd way that the men were certain that it wasn't ordinary, that it was bewitched and it was, the, it was Gwen's familiar. And then this was confirmed when the man who pushed Gwen discovered that his arm was broken. The one that was used to push her, he broke his arm and that, and then the bailiff's wife was also rendered unable to move her limbs. So there we have a familiar fly. And then, I mean, there are, Jane Holt had the familiar hedgehog. This was in 1645. And there are just so many different accusations of witches, familiars causing harm. But all that being said, when I think of witches, familiars, they do not cause harm. They are animals that make themselves known to a person, to a witch. It's going to be a witch because I believe the familiars belong to witches. Um, Make themselves known to a witch to assist them with spiritual workings, to assist them in magical workings, and so forth. And they differ from just your pet. And the only way I can explain this is that there is this connection, an undeniable connection to a familiar that you don't have when you are around your other animals. And you know that there is this connection. And familiars tend, let's say you have a cat familiar or a dog or even a ferret familiar, they tend to want to be with you when you're in your sacred space, when you are doing your magical workings. Um, And they want to be there by your side and even partake in it in some way, shape, or form. And I, I do believe that familiars, they find us rather than we go out and, you know, we're looking for an animal. Familiars have a way of just finding you or appearing in the most unlikely places. When you aren't looking for an animal, but you stumble across one that you know has to come home with you, I think they're more likely to be your familiar. And then when you get home with them and they want to be with you and part of your magical workings and they're at your altar space and can't stay away from your sacred items, then that's telling you, yes, even more more that they could be your familiar. And I will say if you're doing a magical working and an animal shows up, they they might be trying to tell you something that they are your familiar. I, you know, I have, I don't know if it's a bit of a, a, it's not a confession because I've talked about it before and I've, you know, referred in passing to Reese as my familiar. Oh, my little familiar, my little familiar. I truly think Reese is one of my wonderful, loving animal pets that I love so much, but I don't have that connection to her. She doesn't assist me in my practice in any way. Um, and I, I don't have, I don't, have a familiar. And maybe one day I will. I think the closest to that I had was a dog I had growing up that I had this deep connection to. Um, Abigail was her name. 
And when she died, oh, I just, oh, it was, it was devastating. And of course, losing any animal is devastating, but there was something about her that I think at a very young age, um, she was meant to be my familiar. And you know what? Maybe she'll show up in the form of another animal at some point and, and be able to work with me. But I, I don't know. I do know that witches have been working with familiars for centuries. And if you seek a familiar or you may have been getting like not so subtle hints from the universe that it's time to have one, just keep your, keep your eyes open. And when you are doing any of your work, when you're talking to deity or spirit or your guides, ask them to give you some hints to what your or who your familiar may be or to send one your way and they'll probably show up whenever you least whenever you least expect it I feel like that's typically how it happens they just show up but whenever one does show up in your life there are some things that you can do with your familiar and really with your animal in general because this is what I do first off and I talked about this in my first segment is go for a walk, get out there in nature, go for a walk with your animal, dog, cat, ferret, whatever it is, get out in nature because that's where we are like just in our truest form when we're out there in the universe in nature. But go out with them and and see what they find interesting. You know, maybe one day when I take Reese out, she's going to stumble upon a fairy hiding under a bush Um or maybe she can help me seek out herbs in in nature and maybe she is my familiar and she just haven't hasn't made herself known to me yet. Something else something else you can do and this is um from Deborah Blake's book watch for a cat that is looking at nothing. Sometimes magic stares at a corner when there doesn't seem to be anything there. Um so you know if they're just kind of staring looking really at nothing there could be some sort of energy that they're connecting with. And it is it is known that animals do have a way of knowing when spirit is there. If you want some help answering a question, try putting a few tarot cards with options in front of you or, you know, three by five cards with like yes, no, or wait to decide or ask again, or maybe <laughs> like those magic eight balls <laughs> and ask the question and see if your animal is willing to help you find an answer. See if they're willing to point out, you know, one of those cards and perhaps they could be wanting to work with you on a different level. And, you know, again, just ask ask your guides in general to make to make them known to you. So, that's a little bit on familiars. Again, um I wish I could. I wish I could tell you more. I feel like the closest I've had was my animal 20 years ago, 20, more than 20 years ago when I was a little girl. Uh, And although I love my dog so much, I just don't have that same connection on a different level, even though I am way connected, way connected to Reese. But she's my sweetie. I'm looking at her right now. She's so sweet. Okay, so now I want to quickly talk about power animals um, or animal guides. Many pagans have something they call a power animal or an animal totem, which is an animal that has come to them during some kind of spiritual journey and attached itself in spirit form. 
So they could be in the form of a guide, a helper, a symbol of some aspect of your personality, your gift, or your path. And I do want to, I want you to note that when it comes to, I said familiars, that is, it's a witch's familiar. It is something sacred to a witch, but when it comes to your animal guides or power animals, that is something anyone really can have. And I want you to also keep in mind the use of the word totem or even spirit animal. I don't like to use those often. That is could be, you know, considered um, some cultural appropriation, you know, taking from a culture that belongs to others. And in this case, those are terms used by Native Americans. And a lot of what we use in mod- the modern craft is just a hodgepodge and a mishmash of various cultures. So it can be hard to avoid. But I think it we need to be aware of some of these terms. And me personally, when I think of animals that work with me on a spiritual level or our guides, I call them more an animal spirit or an animal guide. I don't ever call them spirit animals. Um, so I, I really refer to it as an animal guide. So they can bring different things to different people. And there's really no limited use Um, And I'm sorry, they're really not limited to witches. As I said before, many pagans have a long history of connecting with the spirits of animals and the essence of animals and what they represent. And I will say that if the closest I have to a guide in the form of an animal And the connection I have to an animal is the fox. You know, I'm talking about my fox all the time, all the time. And although I have not seen a fox on my spirit team and I haven't met a fox on my spirit team, there is some sort of connection that I need to figure out what it is. And maybe it's attributes of the fox and what they represent that have been showing themselves to me the last couple of years, the last like seven or eight years or so. But there is something about the fox right now that I I do have some sort of connection to that. And when it comes to these guides that come in the form of animals, I think that's just what they are. They're another guide that is coming to you in a form that you understand and coming to you in an animal, a deer, a bear, a snake, a dragon, you know, a mythical animal or creature even, they they're making themselves known in something that you can wrap your head around, you know, in the form of an animal, but they're guiding you as part of your spirit team. I have I have one animal on my spirit team that I considered and I consider an animal guide that I've worked with. I I know his name. It took me years, years to find out what his name is and I need to do an episode on, you know, meeting our guides. That would be, might be a long episode though. Um, but he connected to me years ago. And recently in the last two years, I found out what his name is, but he comes in the form of an animal. And in other lives and other iterations, he may not have been an animal. And I've, I've 
had done some work telling me that he wasn't an animal, but that's the way he is presenting himself to me in this life. And when we see these animals over and over again in our regular life, not when we're meditating, not when we're doing any sort of guided practice, but when we see these, you know, that can be a sign that 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 our guides are nudging us or wanting to work with us, or we do have a guide in the form of an animal. And when we see these animals over and over again, like I think of, like I say, the fox all the time, that fox that was always in the neighborhood. And I just, I love, I'm looking around my office right now and I have all my little fox sculptures and my foxies right in front of me, my incense holder and my mug right here. And my little fox that I got from the Dollar Tree sitting on top of my altar you know, I see these and it just immediately makes me feel calm, but it makes me want to research a little bit more. Why is that animal been, why has this animal been presenting itself to me? So if you are encountering an animal over and over again, whether it's reading it in a book or seeing it in real life or hearing about it, or the, the word just comes up over and over again, do a little bit of research. Look into that animal. What do they represent? Why might they be on your your team? Do you feel that there's a connection to your spirit team? Or ask yourself, is this perhaps a familiar? Is this an animal that wants to work with me in my in my practice, in my magical workings? Ask yourself those questions as well. So that's what I want to say about those guides, the animal guides and animal spirit guides. I hope that this episode and this the segment about animals helped you out a little bit uh, to differentiate a bit between your pets, your everyday animals, which is familiars, and your animal guides. But if you want to do more reading, particularly on familiars, I have two books that I want to recommend to you. First is written by the amazing Raven Gramasi. And this is his The Witch's Familiar book. I think one of the first full length texts, you know, books written just on The Witch's Familiar. And I would definitely check that out. Also, two years ago, Simon & Schuster released Familiars and Witchcraft. And I can't remember the name of the author. I'd have to look that up or you can look it up, but it's Familiars and Witchcraft. So those are two readings. And then, of course, in many books on the craft, you can find sections on familiars, on animals, on guides in the form of animals. So I hope that this was helpful to you. And now I'm going to go into the card pool of the episode and I might just have to pull from an animal deck. All right, so I'm going to pull from Kim Kranz's Wild Unknown Animal Spirit Deck. I have four animal decks here, and this is the one that I felt called to draw from. I haven't used this deck in a little bit, so it'll be kind of nice to use it. Let's go through here, and we'll pick a card together. What animal wants to make itself known to us today? All right, ooh, so... We pulled the bat. Ah, nice. And so the bat is all about darkness, letting go, and yes, death, but a death leading to some sort of rebirth. So before emerging, the bat waits for the sun to set and for the moon to rise. And we know this. In the darkness, it can see all that was invisible in the daylight hours. 
The bat is a master of the subtle senses, of the underlying forces that cause some things to prosper and others to fade. The bat card shows up to signify the ending of a chapter or the closing of a door. And he comes swiftly, encouraging us to move on. In just a few hours, a new day dawns and there should be no more lingering in the past. I love this. And I think it's something that can resonate with so many of us and so many of you. That idea of letting go, just letting go of something in order to be in, in order for greatness to occur in the future. And that really goes along with this season because now we're thinking, you know, we're in the Mabin season, thinking about, you're okay? Risha's had a little reverse sneeze down there. Did you hear that? Um, but the Mabin season, which is, you know, gratitude, but then thinking about what you want to let go, what you want to release, because in just a few hours, a new day dawns. So when your bat energy is in balance, you're good at accepting things, adapting to things, um, and adjusting and adjustments. When your bat energy is out of, out of balance, you have an idea, you refuse to let go a little bit, and you get stuck in your mind, stuck in ideas and stuck in reminiscing about things that don't serve you. And, and I call it spiraling. That's that anxiety when you can't let go of something and you just think, think, think about it all the time and you start to spiral. I think, I think of that when I'm refusing to let go. And to bring that bat energy into balance and this, oh, this is so great because it connects to the beginning of my episode and what I've been doing every morning. But to bring the bat energy into balance, you should watch the sunrise. And I think that is so special. That's so amazing. So I hope that you got something out of this. Um, I want to do a couple of shout outs before, before I conclude because there were a number of you since the last episode um, that left some reviews. So I really thank you for that. So first is Tallulah is amazing. <laughs> I love that I'm saying that out loud, like Tallulah is amazing. Um, that is, that is your name. And you just say, I love this podcast with a little witch emoji. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, also Jane Blue Raven, you say this is uplifting and inspiring and my positivity is infectious. And I really do appreciate that. And, you know, you say that I can, you feel my joy and love of witchcraft. And I, I truly do. I love this. It, there's so much comfort to it uh, for me. And you're a new witch. And I'm so glad that you're getting things out of this. So thank you for saying that. Um, Nushi23. Thank you for your comments. The podcast is amazing. Honestly, I get these comments and I can't, you can hear it probably. I can't stop smiling because what started out as just me doing this, just talking has turned into something that so many of you are loving and appreciating. So thank you for all of your support. Um, Adrian, <laughs> that's so funny. I can't believe I, I just said it out loud like that, but that's great. Um, Thank you for your for your review, a podcast for great witchy information that's easy to listen to. I appreciate that. Sometimes when I go off on my tangents, maybe I'm not so easy to listen to. Um, also, Wes said Dead Tef. I think you just put letters in. I'm not really sure, but it's W-S-E-D-E-D-T-T-E-D-F-F. 
you love this podcast, you're new to the witchy world, and you feel so at home, um, and you're so welcome for introducing you to this podcast and to Rowan, my good friend Rowan. Shout out to Rowan every episode pretty much. <laughs> uh, let's see, Root Burr, thank you so much for your comments, an amazing podcast. And I thank you so much because you wrote P.S., I also love how you keep it real by not editing out when your son asks you permission for snacks and to play video games. <laughs> I got to keep it real. I honestly, I, I'm not very good at editing and I don't have a ton of time to do it. So you get what you get. This is my authentic <laughs> podcast. Um, and then NCMTN Mama, sometimes the universe knows what you need. And this podcast is what you needed. So I am so happy. It's like chatting with an old friend for you. And that's exactly what I want this to feel like. We're just sitting down at the kitchen table, having a cup of tea and talking about witchy stuff. S. Ardell, thank you so much. I'm glad that I am helping you in your practice. That's fantastic. And I'm, I really appreciate your comments. And Ula Gov, thank you so much for your comments as well. Um, I'm glad that you find it easily digestible. Uh, that's what I hope for you. So everybody, thank you so much. So ways that you can support the podcast is doing is doing that, leaving a review, uh, leaving comments, a rating review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you, you listen to this, if you can leave a review. I really appreciate that. You can also support me by, I can't even think right now, checking out, oh, oh, I just, oh, something exciting that I totally forgot to mention. But if you're part of my, if you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can get over on Instagram in my bio, that you already know this information, but I will be writing witchy, magical, cozy mysteries under my name, under Jenny Blonde, the comfy, cozy witch. And I'm really excited. I have written um, cozy mysteries in the past under a pen name, but I decided that I wanted to launch um, ones that are magical and witchy and a little bit of paranormal. And I'm really excited. And that is going to be under my name, obviously, Jenny Blonde. But you can find me on Instagram under that writing account, the Cozy Mystery account, at Cozy Witch Writes. Like writing, Cozy Witch Writes. You can check me out there. And I'm really excited because I'm going to have a free little novelette coming out soon. And then I'm going to release the first full length book in my Cakes and Cauldrons Cafe series next year, early next year. I'm talking January, February, and I'm working on that first book right now. And I'm really excited about it. But you can find me on Instagram. You can find me also at the Comfy Cozy Witches Facebook group. It's a private group that you can feel free to join. We have almost 10,000 members strong, and it's an awesome group where you can just talk about your practice and meet other like-minded witches. It's been fantastic. And yes, so thank you for listening to the episode. And until the next episode, everybody stay comfy, cozy, and witchy.